podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. On the catwalk, yeah, on the catwalk, I can shake my little skinny jeans on the catwalk. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, we're now floating in Screamer Selica. My name's Kevin Graham, and tonight I'm joined by Russell, the model voice. <laughs> what, is what is actually happening, sir? What is actually happening, Kev, is a great, great <laughs> question. Um, I have never spent a Tuesday morning posing for four... <laughs> For, for photos in my life, but it was a it was a good experience. It was good to be out my comfort zone, mate, and making a you know a plunker of myself, mate. It was good. The photos, the photos I've seen anyway, look quite decent. So I thought I would actually share an edgy way. Right wing said Fred because they seem to be like uh, everywhere. Right said Fred now they seem to be quite COVID deniers and uh, quite oh, right, I quite right wing now. If you go if you search for them on Twitter, maybe it's just because I follow a load of lefty right wing <laughs> uh, lefty folk who just mm-hmm. keep on retweeting what they're actually saying. Eh, but I am too sexy for my shirt. There you go. You got a cracking shirt on a nice wee pretty green number as well. The night. Eh? Absolutely, yeah. mate. So I've been away for the last two weeks. So what have you been up to? Oh, mate, it was a you know it was a bit of a grudge stab to give you the Delorean back, mate. You know I didn't want uh, to park outside your house. Honestly, I, mean, after, I, I, I know I noticed you went. Uh, I noticed you went right back to the nineties, though. I'll, I'll, I'll need to I'll need to remember that because you were only a young pop in the nineties. I wasn't even born. So, so so we need to go uh, back to the 90s. I, I've had an interesting two weeks. I was in Mallorca for two weeks, but the Love Island producer sent me home because they didn't want some talent actually just going in there and just slaying the, the villa. Eh? So, uh, <laughs> so that, that, that's why I'm back here. Eh? That's why I'm back here. Uh, Donny Boy 67 comes in. Right said, Fred, come on, guys. Oh, come on. It's in, it's in tribute it's to Russell's. It's in ah, it's a, it's we're not that deeply dippy. 
Uh, <laughs> it's a tribute to Russell. If you haven't seen the photos or the video that was put up on Twitter today, Russell modelling the new Axon Celtic kit. Well, Axon hoops, I'm not going to call it a Celtic kit, because that might annoy some people who think that they're trying to take over the club and be bigger and Magnus or Daffa better or or whoever's on front of front of our kit now. Um aye, so Russell was doing a bit of modelling for for the the, the website today and you'll see and and, and and you'll see the the fruits of that labour soon. I've seen some of the pictures and some of them are cracking man. Some of them are cracking eh? uh, he's like a young Rod Stewart and that's all I can say. <laughs> Right, boys. Eh? The DeLoreans travelled to Northwest London on the twenty fourth, no, the twenty sixth of July, two thousand nine, and we've parked up outside Wembley Stadium as connected by EE to give mm-hmm. it its full corporate suit name. Now, this 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 was a tournament that was the Wembley Cup was a tournament uh, was sponsored by ING, Palm Hall Developments, Vodafone Egypt, and Umbro. Right. Uh, basically, it was because Wembley had been refurbished two years before at the cost of eighty. No, sorry, a cost of eight hundred million pounds. It cost to rebuild Wembley. That's right. And they replaced the they replaced the famous twin towers with that this big arch, which was a four hundred and forty foot arch, which was lit up on Sunday night and the colours of the Italian flag to <laughs> to the to the thankfulness of many, many millions of Italians and Scots and Welsh and Irish and anybody else that's uh, doesn't like English media all over the world. Um do you know the Twin Towers in Old Wembley? So they obviously are the famous Twin Towers. They can they were hollow. They were no. just they were like just big like big meringues. There was nothing wow. in the middle. There was nothing in the middle of them, because when they were demolished, wow. when they were demolishing it, they wanted to take it. Some folks thought they should move them and make them sites of like historical interest, and they couldn't, because as soon as they moved them, they were just going to collapse. Because there was nothing in the middle of them. Wow, that is so, interesting. Quite iconic, though. That is definitely aye. The twin towers did the, 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 the at Wembley always did remind me of like. FA Cup finals when you were young. The one that comes to my mind would be when Dimitrio scored after like 30 seconds an absolute <laughs> belter for about, 40, for, for, for about the halfway line, to be fair. It absolutely Aye. rattled off the underside of the bar. But I always used to like watching the FA Cup final growing up because, I don't know, it's just what you did, wasn't it? You watched these sort of games and the Twin Towers are quite, I always felt they were quite iconic. I, I recently watched um, an Everton documentary, Howard's Way, and they were talking about the 1984 FA Cup final. Mm-hmm. And Andy Gray says the the coverage started at 7 o'clock in the morning. And it was a whole day. And it showed you the stuff from the Everton Team Hotel that morning. And you wouldn't get that sort of coverage. And there was telly crews waking the guys up, chatting their hotel bedrooms, waking them up. Wow. <laughs> and stuff like that. You, you wouldn't get that now. And, and, and I did have a sense of occasion. One of the Everton players, I can't remember who it is, says, you used to love the fact that you had the long walk because the tunnel was behind the goals. And mm-hmm. used to have the long walk out. They, right. say, they, they says, that was brilliant. He says, that's what you wanted to be a football player for, that that moment when you were walking out that Wembley tunnel. And now you've just got this sort of 
I've never been in it. Uh, but it looks impressive. But all these all these modern stadiums look look impressive, don't they? No, they feel all a bit wee, a wee bit soulless, though, Kev, as well. Eh? I think maybe the, the the only one I think that's really captured like the sort of balance of being a modern stadium, but keeping the the stands kind of right on top of the pitch looks to be that new Spurs stadium, you know, originally, originally named the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And yeah, really imagination in that, um, um, but. I like the fact they've kept that one quite steep and kind of on top of the pitch. Um, but a lot of these new stadiums, I seem to, my vibe anyway, it seems they do seem a wee bit plastic, none more so than that Emirates one, also in London. That just seems a wee bit, you know, we're lucky to have Celtic Park, mate, you know what I mean? We are lucky to have Celtic Park. I think Celtic Park's the only, maybe this is just me because I, I was lucky enough to spend. Oh, 12, 13 years going to the old Celtic Park, then it was refurbished. Okay? Uh-huh. Uh, and I think the modern Celtic Park is better than the old Celtic Park because we, we I've discussed this many a times on this podcast. By the time you got to the late 80s, early 90s, the old Celtic Park was falling apart. It was it wasn't a horrible place to go, but it needed a lot of refurbishment. And I think the new Celtic Park is one of these new stadiums which basically has, for me, it's better going to the new Celtic Park than going to the old one. I think the atmosphere is far better better at the new Celtic Park. Maybe just because I've been going to the new Celtic Park far longer now. Um, I've I've experienced some great European nights uh, there as well and some great league winning nights and, and, and stuff like that. But I think the new Celtic Park captures the spirit of the old Celtic, because I wouldn't have liked us to move. I think if you move stadium, you lose something. And the fact mm-hmm. that Celtic Park's built on the site of the second Celtic Park keeps that connection with your home, your home ground or something like that. No, I agree uh, with that. Your home area, where you look at these clubs that have moved. I think they've struggled once they've moved. No matter. I mean, I think all Tottenham have done. I've just turned the ground round. It's still on the same site, but it's a, but it's on a different. It's facing a different way. Way, uh, that and, might be right. And the reason it's called the Tottenham Stadium is because they wanted to sell the naming rights, and uh, they haven't been able to do it yet. So that's so uh, that's the reason. That, that's the reason why it's got such a bland name. No, Celtic were the first club to play at the new refurbished Wembley. And thousands of Celtic fans went down, and many of, the, many of the Celtic fans took a lot of the guys on my supporters bus, went down uh, on the overnight mega bus, the ten pound. Oh, I've mega. done that. Have you done, done that? that? Well, if you've done that, you don't need any COVID jabs because that bus <laughs> is full of wave strays and un- untold nightmares. Oh, uh, that that's the one that leaves uh, Buchanan Street at was it quarter to quarter to twelve at night. Yep, that's and the exact one. The exact one, mate. And me and my brother went. You're not like me for saying this, but uh, we did a good few drinks on the bar site, right? and then we both kind of. Well, I definitely passed it, and I woke up looking at my left, and you know that startled face your mate gives you when you know something, but he's like, "I'm like, what is it?" I went, no, 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 no. And then before you know it, there was, aye, he waited, didn't he? So that we were the most unpopular people on the bus by a mile. A hot, stuffy bus, reeking of Jaeger bomb influenced um, spew. So aye, that's my memories of the mega bus. 
we'll move on quickly for that, Kev. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. So we're playing this the inaugural Wembley Cup tournament, a tournament that hasn't been played since for professional teams. Yeah. Uh, and so the original four were us, Barcelona, Spurs, and the most successful club side in the world, Al Ali from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I like it when clubs proclaim to be the most per- successful club side in the world. But similarly, this mob can actually say they are because they've got the most ever domestic trophies like and uh, African trophies as well. So when you add up all the trophies, they are the most successful club side in the world. Yeah. But it's, it's amazing the amount of clubs that actually claim that. Eh? These I can't weak, think of any. Uh, these wee clubs that just claim, oh, it's all about, it's all about like, how, uh, how, how, how many titles have Celtic won? Do you know how many titles Celtic have won? I've never seen us um, waving it about in a banner. Um, no. I've never said we were going for, a, I think it's 53. See, it's one thing I've never been. Uh, we've That's won mere Scottish, we've won mere Scottish cups than you. We've won mere like this and that. I can not get a monkeys. It's how you won them is for mm. me. How you do it? I didn't count them because you're I next. Think maybe the, the sequence. Would you say that though, Kev? You would still like to do like the the ten and obviously I think stuff like that's always. Aye, but, but, but the total amount, no, I got the, the, the total amount, no, no. But uh, what, what's the point? Your, your next one's always going to be your best one. The next one's the one that you're looking forward to. So I don't count. It's like counting your money. It's like count, it's like having cars outside and just counting your cars. Eh? It's <laughs> so I think clubs. I I think, I think it's like wee man syndrome. Small penis syndrome, I'll call it. If you, if, if, if you have to, if you have to shout about how many things that you've won, you are just you have got a small penis, I reckon. Right. You're just a, you're just, a, you're just a small club, I reckon. If that's the way that you measured your success, so the most successful club side in the world, Al Ali, and basically, like a lot of these pre-season tournaments, uh, it's a complicated affair. <laughs> like the way that these are set up. So there's four teams. Each team plays two games and it's three points for a win, one point for a draw, and you get a point per goal. <laughs> you get a point per goal. So it's it's utterly bizarre like a lot of these pre-season tournaments actually mm-hmm. are. Now, before when we got invited to this prestigious tournament, uh, Peter Wall says... Our trips down south have been nothing but positive for the club. This was before three years later we went to Brentford and had pitch invasions and set off flares and stuff like that. The way we have acted as the club have behaved, have behaved, they are great ambassadors. So that was the reason that he says we got invited to the Wembley Cup. No, this was this was the tail end of one of these around the world in eighty days pre-seasons that we all that we seem to go on. So on the 12th of July, we had been in Australia to play Queensland Roar. On the 22nd of July, we had went to Cardiff um, to open Cardiff's new ground. With, and we did, we did open Cardiff's new ground and we had a boring nothing each draw to open Cardiff Stadium. Lovely. And on the same press release... Uh, Peter Wall actually says that we hoped we, we did hope to take part in the Peace Cup in Spain, 
which would feature Real Madrid, Aston Villa, Seville and Malaga. But that was only if we had won the league. But we right. didn't win the league, so we couldn't have gone play in the Peace Cup in Spain. Russell, what do you remember of the heady days when we used to get invited to glamour, <laughs> glamour friendlies and now we just find ourselves like dobbing about Wales and Bristol? <laughs> well, you know, the, the Champions League qualifiers get that soon that, you know, you can't really afford, even though we don't really seem to be taking them particularly seriously these days, but that's for another another uh, story. But I remember you used to go to America a lot as well, um, oh. under under uh, Martin O'Neill, under Lenny. Um, I, I, I mean, I just don't... For me, I get the glamour bit of it, and you're trying to build, you know, a brand, and you want to be associated with these big clubs if you can't be doing it in the Champions League or whatever on a regular basis. But I just feel that, you know, when a, a, a player's came back from the, effectively their holidays, as, as short as they are now getting... The last thing they need to be doing is jetting about the world, you know what I mean? For basically corporate purposes, Kev, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, not for the not for the actual players' fitness purposes because, well, I've been to Vegas, for example, you know, and jet lag is a real thing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, not so much when I was there, but when I got back, <laughs> I was definitely suffering from it. And you think, if you've just had, you know, your few weeks break from being maybe an elite athlete day in, day out, and you've went maybe on holiday abroad, had a few beers, relaxed, unwound. You're trying to get back to your optimum fitness level that you finished the season on. How could you be benefited by travelling to Australia like you've just quoted there or going to Florida, things like that, on top of doing a pre-season training? For me, it makes a heck of a lot more sense, you know, the likes of going down to, is it Cardiff we've went this summer? Uh, Wales, Newport. Ah, Wales, well, Newport. Wales, I presume. It was you just said Cardiff, that's what's in my head. Down, then down to Wales, you're still getting beautiful weather, but it's nowhere near as far as travel. Do you know what I mean? And you're getting games under your belt. Do you know what I mean? So I'm just not convinced that there was really anything that was benefiting the players as much. I appreciate they're playing against high opposition and things like that, but really, is it an accurate, remote, accurate test? I know pre-season friendlies get sort of looked at as not being much of a test anyway, but I mean, really, if you've just flown for 13, 14 even more, 20 hours, you know, are you really gauging that against some of the best teams in the world or whatever if you were doing one of those tournaments in America? Are you really going to get anything from that? Are you learning anything? I don't really think so, to be honest with you. I, in I fact, don't think... I think you're hindering their pre-season uh, warm-up. It's basically, when you look at the English clubs doing it, it's just brand promotion. That's and, exactly, and, 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 and it's just for money. And yeah. it's just for these... To, to, what, what could you say? Expand your fra- fan base going to the Far East and places like that. And when you already have to look at it with Ange Postacoglu and at Celtic, eh, there's been a, 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 a spike in interest in Australia of what's going yeah. to happen in Celtic. Uh, I will just go try to find that comment again. So Somebody actually says, I can't find the comment, but somebody actually says he wouldn't be surprised if we go to Australia next year. Uh, if yeah, we, I like if it, we, yeah. If we try and do something in Australia next year, uh, which is fine because there is a lot of the diaspora are out there, and it was the same when we used to go to, especially East Coast to America, the games in Philadelphia, uh, New York, Boston, uh, places like that. There, there's a lot of the, the diaspora are out there, and they loved seeing Celtic. And um, but these things just become 
you have to think of the players at times. Mm-hmm. It's all right if you've got plenty of time and you can come back and it's well planned. But the, but but these things were like going to Australia for one game, then flying back, playing a playing a couple of friendlies here, then going to Cardiff. You just seem to be bouncing about the place. It was like the game, the what I put uh, an end of season game in Japan as well. You know what I mean? It's. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. These tours have to be done right. These tournaments have to be done right to have mm-hmm. any benefit. And we can actually say this one was done right because we won the bloody thing. We've actually got the Wembley Cup sitting in the trophy room and we've never had to give it back yet. Um, and it was the start of the Tony Mowbray either. And Ryan Ryan comes in. Um, where is it? Ryan Kelly comes in, comment on YouTube. Finally, a Scream of Celica episode highlight a Celtic game I can remember. Cheers, Ryan. Sean Curran comes in. And this is, this is some things. We're the first ever Scottish club to play at the Refurbished Wembley. Uh, Scott, Sean Curran comes in via YouTube as well. First club to play at Fenway Park as well. So there you go. Like, you've, we've got, we've got stuff like, like that. Like, See our viewers are knowledgeable chaps, Kev. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. We are, we are dealing with a knowledgeable audience. That is the thing, mate. Maybe not in football, but in some, in some things they seem very knowledgeable, very knowledgeable about, if you look at the comments <laughs> that come in at times, which sometimes completely distract me, going, what are they actually talking about in the comments? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Wait until I'll be able to bring the comments up. It's going to be far better. It's going to be far better for everybody. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, so, we go into this game. It's on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, on the Friday night, we had beaten El Halley, the world's most successful football club, 5 nothing. Uh, with goals from Donati, Scott McDonald got two, Sean Maloney and Chris Killen. Uh, Barcelona and Spurs had drew one each. So when Barca bet El Halle, the world's most successful football club, 4-1 on the Sunday before this game, all we needed was a draw to win the, the tournament. Yep. So we turned up to play Spurs and basically Tony, what Tony Mowbray did was Tony Mowbray changed the side for the Friday night because we were three days away from a Champions League qualifier against Dynamo Moscow. So the Celtic team it lined up at Wembley that day was Lucas Zaluska, Glenn Leuvens, Darno D, Paul Caddis, Danny Fox, Koki Mizuno, Paddy McCourt, Mark Crossas, Willow Flood, Chris Cullen, and Giorgio Samaras. 
So right away, as you can tell that I'm laughing, what do you think of that side when you hear it when you hear it said out loud? Well, it's nice to be able to talk about different players we haven't spoken about already, Kev. <laughs> I can say that much. Um, let's be honest, it's a side that you would that would give you the fear, really, when you think about it, is if that was your start line of looking back. I mean, I, I think it's a weak team, to be honest with you. I appreciate the fact there's a lot of first-team regulars obviously getting rested because it is a pre-season match. There's a few blasts for the past as well. The name that really sticks out to me is the same name as the clothing brand, Koki Mizuno. <laughs> I forgot all about Koki Mizuno. Um, Old Koki. Aye, I mean, that that really, that one is a blast from the past. And of course, McGinn as well. Niall McGinn's a player that, see, to be honest with you, I think went on and had a decent career. Um, we have been won a lot of caps at Northern Ireland, featured at the Euros, of course, as well in 2016. You know, he's had a really decent career but bizarrely played in South Korea at one point before returning to Aberdeen swiftly. Um, but, I mean, you forget you have guys like that in your books. Mark Crossass is very much in the in the Donati mode that he became the biggest Celtic fan in the world the, since he's left, eh? The Bishop. Is that no, is that, is that no his name on uh, Twitter, The Bishop? Is it? Uh, aye. Uh, I like Crossass. I thought Crossass was a tidy enough player. So did certain Glasgow DJs like him as well. Uh, or he liked them, I don't, I'm not 100% <laughs> sure how, 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 how that worked out. We've got a comment coming in here, Russell. Uh, a Facebook user now, if, I don't know what happens here, but you've just came up as Facebook user, and it says, I walked the team out against Al Halley. So we've got a guy on the comments, or maybe a girl on the comments, I do, saying, he was saying that they were the mascot for the Celtic team on the Friday night at the Wembley Cup against the most <laughs> successful club team in the world. So, nice done. Well done. If, you, if you've got, a, if you've got a, a YouTube user account, whoever you are, please comment on YouTube so we can give you your name because I can't read your name. Uh, what was the other one that, that I saw? This must be the same person, a, a Facebook user. I was 13 and bigger than Maloney, but I got us free tickets for the Royal Box for both games that day. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, uh, what a story that is. Imagine being, you know, the bigger than Sean Maloney. Aye, well, <laughs> I can imagine that. Uh, <laughs> Brian Watt comes in, and Brian does actually say this. I Brian, this is the game when, when all the when all the pigeons just sat on the pitch when Samaras scored his goal in this game. Uh, all the all the Facebook users come back, and Martin Kilcoin, that's that's the name of the mascot. Martin, nice. welcome to a Celtic state of mind, and thanks for sharing your story that you sat in the royal box, probably next to some inbred royalty, uh, and you were bigger than Sean Maloney at thirteen. That's fantastic. I love that. Uh, Brian Watt, do you remember the, the goal Koki Mizuno scored against Falkirk at the new Falkirk Stadium? That rings a bell, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that as well. That that, that was a that, that was a cracking goal as well. He was one of but, those players that I think that showed flashes, Kev, that he could have you know, that he obviously had a lot of ability, Koki Mizuno, but I don't know, he was like one of those folk he never really was convincing as someone that was gonna get a a regular running the teams, you know what I mean, week in, week out. And I think to settle in when you come from the other side of the world, like we were just talking about that pre-season friendly, if you move to the other side of the world, 
the easiest way for him to settle into playing for Celtic, you know, as a Celtic player, would have been to have got a run of games. I do think managers liked him because he did mm-hmm. feature in a lot of match day squads. I had a ticket for that day at uh, Westfield and I missed the game because my daughter was born the day before. So I missed Coco, Coco Mazzuni's only goal for Celtic. I missed it. <laughs> so there you go. I blame... I've never, I've never let my daughter forget that. I always bring that up. By the way, you made me miss Coco, Coco Mizuno's only Celtic goal. The Spurs team that we played that day was uh, managed by Harry Redknapp. Did you see Harry Redknapp's appearance on the standards other week there? No. Oh, it was, it was ridiculously bad. Even worse than the Peter Crouch show, if you anybody was unfortunate enough to actually see the Peter Crouch show during the Euros. Uh, so, a couple of names that jump out to us in that, in that Spurs team. The most overrated right back ever to come out of Scotland, Alan Hutton, cabbage mm-hmm. heat himself. Uh, I can't believe Spurs paid £9 million for a guy with knees like a cabbage. Yeah, I remember him well. I remember him... Uh... He did all right at Rangers, in fairness, and then I think he did get a bad injury at Spurs when he was doing pretty well, didn't he? I think he broke his leg, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he's one of those folk. He went to Aston Villa, played more games a season for Scotland than he did Villa. Madness. That he's is season, madness, eh? That he is madness. played more games for Scotland than he did for Aston Villa. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, Brian Watt comes in with another good point. Would that... Coco Koki Mizuno, I'm going to call him Coco all night now. Koki Mizuno, would that have been around the time Falkirk had Casper Smeichel on loan? I think it could have been, you know. Or it could have been another goalkeeper who was also at this Euros. Tim Krull. Tim Krull. Was, that, that's some claim to fame for Falkirk, eh? Having, oh, two, go, having two goalkeepers at the, at the current Euros, man, eh? That, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's a great team. Uh, great claim to fame. Who else in this team? Uh, Jamie O'Hara. I think just because he, he does the stuff on Sky now that uh, he, he was always there. Wilson Palacios. I just used to like Wilson Palacios because he's named... I forgot named. all about him. He uh, has a great shot in this game that uh, Zaluska has to save. Uh, and Robbie Keane, who joined Celtic six months later. Yeah, of course. Uh, the big sub that obviously stands out for me is Modric. Yes. Obviously, pretty relevant right now in a Scottish states of mind. Um, but I think Modric is, you know, what a footballer still. You think how we're going back in time in the DeLorean here 12 years and you look at Modric still tearing it up at the Euros just now. Do you know what I mean? Just an absolute gem of a footballer. Jake Livermore is a sub for Tottenham. Is he still at Spurs? Love no, him. he went to Hull City. Did he go to Hull? Uh, uh, I, I think he's actually still there. Or he might have moved to West Brom. Someone can correct me on that. I've probably just made up two clubs, but I think I'm close. Defoe's uh, a sub for Tottenham as well. Uh, and so's Roman Pavlichenko. I used mm. to like Rome. He was always linked with Celtic as well, eh? He was. He, he played he, against he, us as well for Spartak. For Spartak, uh-huh. that was like that. There's one, there's one thing, there's there's one thing you, you notice about this game before it kicks off. There's meant to be sixty four thousand five hundred and sixty two there that day. Yep. Like, and it looks empty. 
Yep. It looks absolutely empty. Um, it looks like the majority of the Celtic fans have stayed in the in the pub. Uh, and there was only meant to be 60,000 at Wembley on Sunday night there, and there was a lot more than 60,000 at oh, Wembley on, on oh. Sunday night there. Eh? So the game starts, and we score an early goal, and it's a great run down the right-hand side by Paul Caddis. And Paul Caddis whips in a great ball for Chris Mullen, Chris Cullen, who scores with a header. What did you think about this goal? This, uh, this goal? I thought it was very typical Chris Cullen. I think he was one of those players that seemed to go in patches as well, even when it was a hips that we signed him from. And I remember him having like wee goal flurries, like one of those people maybe score five games in a, on the bounce, do you know what I mean? And look like he's actually a bit of a deadly finisher. He'd certainly had a spell at Celtic. I'm not sure it was under striker or under Mowbray where he was coming off the bench and making an impact quite often. Um, to me, though, he was always going to be a, a striker that was a third or fourth sort of choice. You know, he was never someone you've seen being, you know, in your, in your, you know, your first choice striker or usually played a partnership back then. So you wouldn't ever have associated them as being in your top two um, in the starting 11. But Killen was one of those folk capable of going on reruns where his name seemed to appear in the score sheet, you know, quite regularly. The header was a completely typical uh, Chris Killen sort of goal, I would say. It was. It was, a, it was a goal that brought him to Gordon Stratton's attention because what we've got to remember is Gordon Stratton's scouting was at Easter Road because that's where he used to go watch his football when he was Celtic manager. And he scored, I think he scored against us and scored two goals against Rangers. And next thing you know, we signed him in 2007 in a free transfer. Mm-hmm. But do you know where he started his career? In Britain? Man City? Manchester City. He signed, he signed for Manchester City as a 17-year-old, did Chris mm-hmm. Killen. So there we go, we've got another Man City link. I love uh, it when I get them right. I know, I know. You're a very intelligent guy. <laughs> and uh, as these pictures will prove, a very good-looking guy also. Very <laughs> very, very, very camera-friendly. Uh, oh, aye. From, from uh, Man City, he moved to Oldham for a quarter of a million pounds and he went to Hibs and obviously we signed him on the Hibs uh, from, a, from a free transfer uh, when it looked like he was actually going to a team that we played two weeks previously, which was Cardiff City. Um, after that, Spurs take a grip of the game, basically. And Zaluska keeps, keeps us in the game with having yeah. two great saves for Darren Bent. Darren Bent's another striker that we always seem to be linked with as well, eh? Mm. Round about, round about those days. One of those guys whose career didn't like quite make it, eh? No, it was a weird one because he's, he cost £24 million for Villa in a January window. When, and there's always a Celtic like Martin O'Neill had left Villa the day before the opening day of that season because he wasn't backed in the transfer market because Villa felt he'd spent quite a lot already. But he'd got three sixth-place finishes in a row. And then come the January, they've got Goulier in charge and they're panicking because they're in the lower ebbs of the league and they blow £24 million on Darren Bent, which I always found astounding. Do you know what I mean? Because uh-huh. you're like... You're like, surely, if you're, if you're willing to do that when you're up against it, why not do it when you're ahead with O'Neill, who's getting you sixth-place finishes and wants to go in the, the Champions League? Quickly on Darren Bent, one of those players that irritates me a wee bit, Kev, because there's this... And I, I think sometimes, in fairness, it's subconscious arrogance, Kev, right? 
But one of those sport that gets to the sort of 33, 34 and is like, oh, I would love a crack at Celtic or Rangers. Do you mean you love a crack at Celtic, mate? You know what I mean? You don't just like come up here with three England caps, you know what I mean? At 34 years old and waltz into our team. Probably 40 grand a week. You know, oh, I'm, I'm a free agent, I'm still undecided. Oh, I'm, I'm open to offers though, either side of the border, alluding to. I'm like, this is Celtic, you know, it's not. Come in and top up my pension, please. Oh, no, oh no, 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 that's a... It's a wee bit like as well, though, to me, the pennies maybe dropped a wee bit too late. They realise, like, you know, oh, maybe it would have been nice to, you know, compete for trophies. Maybe they are quite a big club, you know? You never thought that, though, you know, in your 20s, you know? You would rather have sat in the bench at clubs coining your wage. So don't think of us as some afterthought in the twilight of your career. And I think, I feel a lot of players from side to the I've, I've adopted that attitude. So I just like to get that off my chest, Kev, you know? I definitely, and I'm quite glad that you did because I can see that you're feeling better and glowing about getting that off, off, off your chest. Darren Bent played for Ipswich, yeah. He, he did play... Ipswich, he started. He, he, he played for Ipswich Charlton, Charlton now, Sunderland, Villa... Tony Mowbray's last game as a footballer was for Ipswich Town at Wembley and he, sco- and he scored a goal in the playoff final. So there you go, there's another Ipswich Town. Yeah, uh, Ipswich Town like Martin Kilcoyne comes back in uh, and he's telling us more about the story when he led at the Celtic team at the Wembley Cup. It was me that walked the team out Boric was shouting, let's get into them from the, from the start as we were in the tunnel. He was so vocal, even for a friendly. I got, I got my one pass of the ball on the pitch too. So I think he went on and pass, maybe kicked the game off. Eh? Um, he comes back in and he goes, they made me go stand next to Maloney for a bam-up. <laughs> That's why I mentioned that part. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That's great. Eh? I can just imagine that. <laughs> All the players got a wee medal from Al Halley. I'll need to try and dig mines out as I got one too. That would be brilliant, Martin. If you can actually show us a picture of that medal, that, that would be absolutely that would be absolutely ma- I think magic. That kinda, what, what was the, the, the viewer's name? Uh, Martin Martin Kilcoin. I think that technically makes Martin our most successful viewer in the world. <laughs> oh, aye, 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 aye. A medal, a, a medal from the most successful Al-Ali. club in the world. Yeah, a, a medal from the most successful club side in the world, and never forget that. Um, so that's brilliant. Now, thanks, Martin. That's really made this bizarre. That's just made this bizarre game even more bizarre. But brilliant. I love stories I like, like that. that. That's 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 a great story like that. So nothing basically happens. Palacios has, have, has a long range shot as well, right? Uh, that Zaluska saves. And the game then goes into a sort of pre season thing, eh? but then on 40 minutes, we get a Samara solo special. Uh, he picks the ball up about the five, ten yards inside the Celtic half, Russell. Eh? Yeah. He brings it down. I think it's for a bye kick. He brings it down. He turns and he's got the whole the whole of Wembley in front of him and he just starts running. And a touch takes him a bit wide and he bursts into the box and he scores. It looks like he's knocked it too wide. And he, he, he was at 
an angle for about 14, 15 yards, and he absolutely batters it into the bottom corner pass. Who was the goal? Gomez. Gomez was in goals for Gomez was in goals for yep. Tottenham. It's a Samaras special. Eh? On YouTube, there is Arabic commentary in the highlights of the game. And all you hear is them going absolutely mental and shouting tremendous and splendid, and uh, it's a great bit of commentary. And, and then, uh, and then, if I'm not mistaken, the name I wanted to do you not remember the name that's then mentioned by the commentators, which I'm guessing was in comparison. They, they say Ronaldo. They do. They do say Ronaldo. <laughs> which made us chuckle today in the, in the studio. But I was going to say, um, see when Samaras gets the ball, he's like a racehorse. See once he oh, knocks I... the ball that five yards from me, he could shift. Like, I know we did a big feature on him the other week, so I don't want to repeat myself, but the pace he's going at there. My other observation, Kev, was the goal looks huge. It does. It's I don't know why. I, they've it's they've the net so far back that I agree with you. It looks like he's took it away, but there are many hits that you're like... Keeper looks tiny with those nets behind him. He's got no chance. <laughs> no chance. Uh, no, the nets look absolutely massive. If you say they've tightened them right back, and, oh, and, and, and it's, a, it's a fair strike. Uh, and just just having a, a look. In the, aye, Daniel Duffy mentions the pigeons as well. There was pigeons on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and the pigeons actually got closer to Samaras and the two Spurs defenders that were actually that they were actually trying to chase him. It, it's as you as you say, it's a typical Samaras goal. It's a goal, a reason why we love big Samaras. And it's this week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Again, we've done a whole episode on it, eh? but the Greek Ronaldo. <laughs> the, the, the Greek Ronaldo. like that was said, definitely. So... He'd obviously, obviously made quite the impression to our uh, foreign commentators on that instance, so fair enough. Aye, definitely. Killen misses a chance just before half-time, which is, again, set up, set up for a... It was set up by Samaras, be winning the ball and running into Spurs' yep. defence and, and sticking it through. 
And basically, that was it. Nothing happens in the second half whatsoever. Spurs basically changed their whole team. And Celtic start making changes as well during the game. Eh? Um, so I'll go through the subs that we make. Gary Caldwell comes on for Glenn Rubens. Uh, Danny Fox, who we're going to talk about, uh, gets replaced by Ryan Conroy. Uh, let's see. Paul McGowan comes on for Coco Koki Mizuno. I tell you, I'm just going to keep on calling him Coco. Um, <laughs> and Paddy McCourt is replaced by Simon Ferry. But, <laughs> which, which after which is now Simon Ferry, Ferry's other career now. He's got he's got a Wembley Cup winners medal with Simon Ferry because he played in Absolutely. this game. Because he played in this game against uh, Tottenham. Um, Niall McGinn also came on for Samaras uh, later on. But uh, how bizarre is that? When you actually see that team, you had Paul Caddis in that team who was highly rated as well. He, yep. he, played, he played against Barcelona on, under, under uh, Strachan mm-hmm. uh, as well. He had a very good career. He did Ryan Conroy again. A few pre-seasons here and here and there, a few pre-season games here and there. Paul McGowan, he's had a decent career, uh, despite issues off the field, shall we say? I think he's still at Dundee. Uh, Simon Ferry, a knee injury basically. His his knee this his knee basically gave way a couple of months after that, because he leaves two weeks after this to go to Swindon on loan. Mm-hmm. So at this point, he's recovering from the knee injury because he was highly tipped to be a fantastic, to be the next big thing within the, Celt- within the Celtic youth setup. He was good. He was the next breakthrough star when he got a serious, serious knee injury. What's funny about this is Ferry leaves to go to Swindon on loan. And in the January, now obviously we'll look at that January. In January basically became a car crash because Chris Cullen leaves in January, Willow Flood leaves in January, uh, Danny Fox leaves in January after us, just uh, after us just signing him. And one of the players that came in that January, obviously, like uh, we've spoke about Robbie Keane, and we, we will do an episode on Robbie Keane. We will definitely do an episode on Robbie Keane because he deserves to get spoke about for 40 old, min- 40 old minutes. But that January, who else did we sign? Paul Slane. Paul Slane, who plays a man. At the same time as Robbie Keane as well. Uh, the same so night. On, the, on the same night we signed Robbie Keane, we signed Paul Slane. So basically, we... Tony Mowbray started open goal. Can, can, we, ask, can, can, can we claim that? Uh, I found that bizarre when I, I didn't realise that Ferry and Slane's paths had probably crossed right. at, at, at Celtic. Yeah, so they, they did cross at Celtic. So nothing happens in the second half. Final whistle goes 2 nothing. Darno D goes up and lifts the Wembley Cup. That's it. We're the Wembley Cup champions forevermore because it'll never be held for professional clubs ever again. So when you go on the tour roundabout Celtic Park, the Wembley Cup is there. And it's ours forever, ever. The first ever Scottish team to win win in Wembley. 
to pick up silverware in Wembley as well. Daniel Duffy comes back in as well and says, don't forget Edson Braffid, who left Hamden on the day of the Ross County semi-final as he wasn't in the squad. Edson Braffid, oh aye, I get what you mean. Edson Braffid signed in January as well, aye. Yeah, I, and Nancy Kamara. Diamancy Kamara was another one that signed in January as well. And Yus Huyvelt was he was Hoyvelt. 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 He arrived in the January as well. He arrived in the January as well. Too. And Keeson Young also arrived oh. in that January. So there you go. Well Danny Fox. Danny Fox came to us as a highly rated left back. We signed him for £1.5 million for Coventry, um, where he credits Chris Coleman and Celtic fan Steve Keane for turning around his career. Uh, Steve Keane uh, is a massive Celtic fan. He comes from mm-hmm. Cumbernauld and he played for Celtic between, oh, would it be 84, 85 to 86? Maybe I'm not mm-hmm. 100% sure, but he played for Celtic. Um, so the Coleman and Keane were the manager at Coventry at the time. Basically, Danny Fox came to us and we were actually told he had a wand, a weapon of a left foot, is how it's been described in the papers at the time. Never get a right foot described as that, do you? No, you didn't. No, it's a, it's a, it's only a target can can be put <laughs> to a left foot. It's a weapon of a left foot. He was a dead ball expert and a set piece expert, a corner kick expert and a dead ball expert. When he left Celtic six months later, we had, we had never converted for any of his corner kicks. He had never scored a free kick for us. He had something like two assists. But that's not to say that he wasn't impressive for a wee while until he got injured, because he was because yeah. uh, he was impressive. He was energetic, he was leggy, and he looked like he could play a bit. And I remember when he left in that January, we were all like, what do you mean he's left? He went to Burnley and we got 1.8 million for him when he went to Burnley. And it seemed utterly bizarre that a player that we invested so much money in just we were willing to let leave after six months. And there didn't there hasn't even seemed to have been a big fallout or anything like that. It just says that we were offered money and he moved. Signed over the manager's head, would you say, Kev? Yeah, sold, over, sold over the manager's head, I meant to say. The vibe I get is that was Peter Lowell just going, that'll do, see you later, make a quick buck. Uh, there's no manager in the world that get, doesn't back themselves. When a manager's done, a player's done well, and you end back selling him five months, six months later, that doesn't happen. I'm just trying to... Looks like a Peter Lowell production. I'm just trying to have a look to see who would be the other left back. Lee Naylor would have been in the squad at that point. Eh? So, did he think Lee Naylor was good enough to actually take us over the line? And the 1.8 million could have went on the loan signings at that point. He could be right. It sounds like a Peter Lowell production, actually. No, it's and a then cute... a loan signing comes in to replace him. And by the end of the season, uh, Lee Naylor's Lee, Lee, Lee scoring a free kick against Rangers. He's that's right. Edson Braffid comes in. He's the left back It comes in. But um, Edson Braffid... Russell's... I don't know if he's disappeared for anybody else there, but he has for me. 
You still there, Russell? Aye. Aye. Right, that, that's fine. I was just uh, saying that Edson Braffite, though, ironically, goes on to play in the World Cup final. Is it that same summer? Uh, 2010. When did the Dutch get there? No, was it no 2014? Did he not come on? Was it? It might have been. I saw him yeah. playing for I saw him playing for Lazio in the Rome Derby uh, in 2016. I saw him playing for Lazio. I went to see Francisco Totti and ended up watching Edson Braffied for 90 minutes. <laughs> That's Paul comes in. Mowbray did not want to sell Fox or Donati. Sold from under his nose. Right, uh, Massimo Donati had a great pre-season. He broke back into that team and yeah. he scored against Arsenal in the Emirates and uh, qualifier that we got ended up the Champions League qualifier and they, I think he was sold the following day I can't even remember where he went uh, but Barry. did he go to Barry ah there you go you, you like, I, I like I like you <laughs> uh, John Douglas comes in and says no 2010 so that must have been uh, South Africa World Cup I'm sure he, I'm aye. sure Barry played the World Cup final after we thought it well he was a diddy for us I'm telling you We've been making bad transfer decisions for years when you start doing this again, eh? <laughs> See, when you start looking through this, eh? I mean, for every Van Dyke, we've had a Braffied, eh? No, for every right. Van Dyke, for every Van Dyke, we've had five Braffieds by the looks of stuff. Uh, and it doesn't look like that's going to change this summer, eh, the way things are going. But I'll talk about that in the bulletin tomorrow. Um, after Danny Fox left, his debut for Burnley... He scores a free kick and he scores an ass- and he gets an assist and he calls his debut for Burnley the best footballing day's life. <laughs> so, so again, that's karma coming back to bite us. After Burnley, he went to Southampton, Nottingham Forest, and Wigan, and he's still playing. He's playing for South East Bengal in the Indian Premier League, and wow. he's, and he's only thirty-five. So, nah, he's, so he's still playing football. So, Russell, what do you remember? What's your whole take on pre-season anyway? I mean, I mean, we're watching pre-season games just now, and I'm sure if a Celtic state of mind was about when we were watching this Wembley Cup, we would have been raving about Chris Cullen getting a chance in next season. Danati, oh, he should be getting kept into the team. Paul Caddis, he's 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 one to watch and stuff like that, eh? Does this just really mean that pre-season means hee-haw when you actually start looking, looking at the <laughs> start looking back? I, I think it's one of those things with pre-season that the games take on a lot more meaning as a supporter if there's new signings to see because you want to get that first glimpse because you want to start casting your opinion early. Do you know what I mean? Whether there was a Celtic state of mind or not, it's what you did with your mates in the pub if you are watching there, if they were around it, you're better. If you've been lucky enough to go to Wembley, you want to see a new signing playing and going, telling you, I've seen signing him. He'll be the best player for us next year. He'll be a, he'll be, he'll play every week next year. You want you you got excited about that first glimpse of a new signing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for me what preseason friends are all about as a supporter is getting that first glimpse at who's going to be the additions to the team that you've watched the year before. So when you've not got that, they're a bit of a tough slog, I think. 
I think they are a bit a tough slog because they are what you've got to remember. They are glorified training sessions. The the one last week against Sheffield Wednesday, which is split into three thirty minute bits, com- completely shows how it's been treated. The the game against uh, Charlton at the weekend when two different teams basically uh-huh. play first half, second half. They are just to get games into legs. I mean. I'm old enough, and I'm sure some of our audience is absolutely old enough to remember that you didn't have a clue if Celtic were playing a pre-season game or no, until the following day you would get the paper and there would be a wee, like, scored in the bottom, a Celtic 11 bet near City 15-2. And you yeah. wouldn't even you wouldn't even know know who was playing or stuff like that. And now it's just business. You look at Celtic, or oh, we're going to show you all these pre-season games, and it's just no, to, it's just to generate content. And it's just football has changed. But I think a lot of people have to remember about these pre-season games that they are just training sessions. But we've got to win them, though, because if you win, everyone will say what you just said there, Kev. But if you lose, ooh, bad start. Bad start. We need signings. You know what I mean. So it's a it's a bit of a double edged sword. The preseason trend, is it? Well, well, you have a look at it. You're saying bad start. Here we are. We've just won the Wembley Cup and we're going to have a horrendous season. Mm-hmm. So preseason goes means nothing, but you can take positives out of preseason, and that's yeah. where that's where we are with Ange at the moment because it's a yeah. whole new a whole new brand and style of football, and Tony Mowbray promised us that as well. And I'm not going to be I'm not going to like reverse my my opinion at the time. I think I remember coming out this game going, "Hey, I'm looking forward to this this season. Mm-hmm. I'm all looking forward to this season." Then it all went. That's up when when push comes to shove, but where we are and where we are just now tomorrow we're playing Bristol City. I'm sure we'll just like we'll love it. We'll love going to watch Celtic. Every Celtic game's great, but we've got to remember what it is, and we will make massive wild no, proclamations that there's still hope for a living charm. There's still like <laughs> there's still. Uh, Owen Moffat's going to be the next greatest things for sliced bread. Mikey Johnson's not going to make it. We can't answer these questions until six, seven, even 12 months down the line. No, I, 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 at the moment, this is just getting game time and legs. And like the, the game that we're talking about there, game against Spurs, that was Danny Fox's debut. So when we, talk, when we tuned into this game, we all would have been interested. Exactly. And, and seeing what Danny Fox looked like. But we'd all be interested in seeing how Tony Mowbray's Celtic were going to play. Um, and that's what pre-season games are. And it's just in the last, I think it's only in the last decade. Well, no, I remember the first time I ever tuned into pre-season games was Martin O'Neill's time when we went to America. And I think that's when, when Celtic got their first Satanta channel. I think that's the first time I can ever remember pre-season games ending up on the telly. Before that, you just went to them if you wanted to go to them. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Uh, totally. And now you've got all these big tournaments. It just shows you how much the world has changed since I was growing up watching mm-hmm. watching football. Anything else you want to talk about about that game, Russell? No, I think we've covered it all at the Wembley Cup. You know, a momentous occasion for us, the supporters, I'm sure the players at the time. And we've got somebody in the comment, and we've got Martin in the comments, who was the Celtic mascot, and has got a medal 
from Al Halley, the world's most successful club site, for being the mascot for Celtic that day. That, that's fantastic. Amazing. Well, we move on to the music and we'll see everybody disappearing at the comments as we move on to the music. Um, when, we were having, when I was having a look at the, the, the album charts at this point, um, Michael Jackson had five albums in the top, in the top 40. Uh, basically, he had passed away, turned out he, uh, he had overdosed on uh, barbiturates uh, a month before. And it just showed you the cultural impact that Michael Jackson had, even at that point where his album started selling millions of copies after he had passed away. I think it's, to me, it's one of those moments like, I don't know, you know, when you find out like something big's happen, like, you know, like you know where you are. Do you know what I mean? Like, see where you like, you like, you know where you are when you find out a bit of news, like a certain news story, you, you can remember where you were at the time. I can remember being in fact, you'll know the pub, Cape and Stirling at the time when the news of Michael Jackson's death came up and it was like, <gasps> no way. And it's just one of those things because it was just such a huge, huge name, personality in, in the world and it featured in so many news stories as well as so many. I'm going to the music, Kev, you know, there are a lot of amazing music videos over the years. Um, and yeah, it's one of those ones that when you found out, it, you, I, you know, I remember exactly where I was standing when I found out and I think that's, that tells you all you need to know. It was a big deal, you know what I mean? I think as well with Jackson, for me, growing up during the, during the 80s, uh, Jackson was massive. Thriller, then you had the bad album after that. But then by the time you get into the, the, the 90s and towards the end of his career, there's this sort of darkness appears, mm. surrounds him, and, and it's still happening to this day. Uh, but you can't deny... You, sometimes I think you've got to separate the music from the person mm. and you can't deny that he made a massive influence on a lot of the popular music that you hear now um, and I, f I don't think anybody would mind me saying that he was a seriously disturbed individual mm. um, and a lot of that is probably down to his upbringing and the fact that he never had a normal childhood and all the rest of this stuff. I mean, a lot of, a lot of these, when you start reading into these, this stuff, especially these big megastars, they all seem to be addicted to prescribed drugs. And what this case in Hollywood, for me, sort of highlighted was the Hollywood drug doctors who just seem to, preside, to, to, seem, who seem to prescribe opiates to anybody who's a big mm. enough name and has got enough money. And it seems to be a massive problem. Eminem as well. He He's admitted that he was addicted to prescribe, uh, prescribe drugs as well. And the... Keith Ledger. Aye, there's a whole load of them. And these doctors, these doctors are pedaling in death, basically. Mm. With these, I mean, everybody mm. thinks that illegal drugs are bad enough. But then when you've got a doctor prescribing you stuff that you cannot yeah. get off, um, that, that's not that... I, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, justify Michael Jackson's behaviour whatsoever. Like, 
but there's a whole seedy underworld of this glamorous Hollywood scene, mm. uh, which we don't see. And mm. there's a lot. There is a lot of darkness goes on behind successful doors. And I think Jackson was just part of that. Mm. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, man. I mean, I just, I just remember like growing up. And whenever I had a music video coming out in the 90s, it was like this big deal. Do you know what I mean? Like, you were like, Michael Jackson's got, and like, do you remember the time, black or white, all of that stuff? And it was like, it was such a big deal because these music videos were like, do you know what I mean? They were like six minutes long and top of the pop had to like do the chart early because it's like, right, and the release for next week, the chart's mm-hmm. new release is Michael Jackson's like, They'd crammed in the top 40 in the first 20 minutes just so they could show uh, a Michael Jackson video, a premiere of it at the end. And, you know, I just remember thinking, like, these videos are amazing. Do you know what I mean? I love them, man. Aye. It's difficult because there's a lot of comments coming in saying about what Jackson done. And that's mm-hmm. fair enough. We, 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 we can't we can't look past that. I mean, just the same, we can't look back at what happened at Celtic Boys Club. We can't not disown what went on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Jackson and with Celtic, you've maybe got to separate the club from the the club from the action of an individual. But with Jackson, you've got to separate his art from what he was like as a person. Uh, uh, himself, Aye. I think. I, I think. I, I think so. Anyway, no, I mean, I'm, look, look, all I'm trying to recount is my memories. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and at that point in time, I'm in the nineties when he was releasing verse. But eight, nine years old, I was. I don't know anything about any of this other stuff. Do you know what I mean? That's all I'm talking about. I'm watching. I'm talking about as I watched off the pops at that time. What the impact was like of these music videos that came out, and it was like, wow, that's mm-hmm. you know. This is a football and music show, do you know what I mean? It, it was a big deal. It was a massive deal. And no matter what he done, uh, no matter what he done later on, when you're, if you're talking about the 70s and 80s Michael Jackson, he was a massive, massive deal um, to everybody of a certain age growing up at that mm-hmm. point. Um, so it was a cultural icon. He died and that that, that was shown uh, uh that that was shown that he was a cultural icon when he passed away. What album are you going to talk about? Uh, so I went for something a wee bit more obscure for me, I would say, but I mean, they did have a big chart hit, which, oh, they're a couple. Um, it, this album sold 100,000 uh, 100, records. It was by the Noisettes, Wild uh, Young Hearts. Now, they have a singer whose name I have got on the screen in front of me because I don't want to pronounce it wrong. I think it's Shingai Shonawa. But what a soulful voice this girl's got. And this is their second album. And there's funk in it. There's a bit of soul Motown vibes. And there's a bit of just like sort of indie music from that sort of era you can hear the influences or you can tell it's from the generation it's from as well um, in certain aspects with that sort of indie vibe, you know. Um, there was obviously the big hit, you know, the Don't Upset the Rhythm, Go Baby, Go Baby, Go. Love that tune. Um, really good bass line, little funky guitars in the background. And then when they did uh, I'll Never Forget You, I always remember when that came out. Brilliant tune. It's like a soul song. So we give it a listen today. 
And there's moments, as I say, that are indie. There's moments that are quite Motown. There's moments that are quite funky. And it's quite pop as well. It's quite easy to listen to. Mm -hmm. um, I always think when a band's got a right good singer, do you know what I mean? That's got like a, she's got like a really charming voice. It's a nice pitch. It's a nice tone. It makes the rest of the songs easy to listen to, particularly if a lot of them are upbeat, which they are. Um, and the era when, when Celtic played Tottenham, this album had actually dropped out the top 40 and then it just re-entered it mm -hmm. um, because of the single um, Don't Upset the Rhythm. So yes. there you go. But, yeah, I don't know if you remember the Noise X album at all, Kevin. It came out a bit popular. I do, I do remember it, and but I was surprised if he said it sold a hundred thousand copies. I cannot remember it being that popular, uh, like uh, like that big. Because selling selling a hundred thousand records in two thousand and nine is still a big deal. United uh, Kingdom gold certificate one hundred thousand units. One hundred thousand units. That's decent. That is decent. One hundred percent. I remember the singles. I do remember the singles, but yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought they would have sold a hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a good feel-good album. There's wee slower moments, a wee bit almost spooky with acoustic guitar. But the actual album is a good listen. One of those albums on a sunny day. It's ideal for maybe not so much a winter album, but driving in the estate of mine, big jeep the day with it blaring through the speakers. It was good fun. I enjoyed get, it. Getting your forty took. I after I was just on such a high from that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul comes in. It didn't sell as much as Urban Hymns. Subscribe to win the Verse Platinum Disc. I was <laughs> getting there with that. I oh. knew I had that in the back pocket to advertise. He's if, beaten to it. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to the channel. You get put in a draw to what to win this Platinum Disc to signify the ner the Verve selling. 2.1 million. million copies of, of their, for me, their third best album. So framed as well. The prize Aye. is pretty cool in fairness. As it's extremely cool. It would look great behind me, next to my screen, my celica thing. But, but unfortunately, the terms of my contract means I can't enter the draw. No, I've got the same terms somehow. I never checked this one. When it turns out we're... We're not allowed to win it, so I was a bit disappointed when I read back my contract, mate. Aye, aye, I know. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the album that was at number 10, but I want to mention the album that was at number 8 first, be La Rue. Now, La Rue. Which was a bit of synth pop and... I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Uh, of course you know where I'm going. I you do know. Because you know how... Say... Sign of it, a news reporter's daughter, aren't you? Mm. Ah, she, she's a she's, I know, I know, but not a news reporter. Was oh, it not? No, no, she... no, no. Did you ever watch the, the Bill? The Bill, the the June Ackland's daughter. Ackland's daughter. I got there. I got uh, there. I, I jumped in too early, Kev. I knew when you said LaRue, I went, Nah. I know him. <laughs> I, I remember I've just been utterly amazed that again, being an eighties child, you always watched the bill. And yep. that this 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 uh, band fronted by John June June Ackland's daughter. I remember right, thinking yeah. I was getting wound up. I'm going, that's no June Ackland's daughter. That can't be <laughs> June Ackland's daughter. That's like uh, 
and obviously, what was his? Oh, I mean, we call her June Acklin, but she's not called June Acklin. That was the name, and that that was the, that was the name in, in the bill. Uh, Trude Curry is that a right name? Trude, it's Trude Sahan, I think. But everybody just everybody just knows as a June Acklin because <laughs> that's what she was for the years in the bill. I'm going to go. I'm going to go for the album that was number ten in the charts this that week, and it's be Kasabian. Uh, and it's the West Rider Pauper Lunatic Asylum and it was a third album by Kasabian and when we're talking about shifting units Kasabian's previous album Empire had sold 800,000 copies Mm -hmm. and I think this album sold I can't remember. I think it was three hundred thousand. This album ended up. It still, it still went to number one. And when you look at, it shows you how much music has changed. Kasabian's second album, Empire, sold eight hundred thousand copies and went in at number one. Right. By the time they got to their last album, Crying Out Loud, was it? Was that the name of it? I think it was. That went to number one, selling forty thousand copies. Mm-hmm. It shows you the absolute Nah, it shows you, but it's still classed as a number one album mm-hmm. because it still oh. went to number one. No, this is the third album, and for me, it's their best album. I think this is the one where everything came together for them. Uh, right off the underdog to fire, everything just every every song on this hits the mark. Every song on this is absolutely perfect. Well, not perfect, but they. It, they do what they want to do with it, and every song makes a statement on this one. It's they're electronic, it's psychedelic, there's stomping glam, there's big co- there's big choruses. And I was listening to the album today, and I'm going, this is a decent album. And it's a band that of like after Velociraptor, I haven't listened to their final two albums that that, that they've released since then. Um, like what the, the album that was a pink cover. Uh, what was that one? Forty-eight, fifteen. Aye, I had the pink cover, eh? And it had the single. Of it. No, that was that was their last album. That was definitely. Aye, I had the one, but I had Bumble easy, 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 and all that. Oh, that's dreadful. Mm. I, 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 I think when I heard that single, I was like, oh, wait a minute. What is that? What he's actually doing there? Mm-hmm. But when you go when you go back and listen to, the, to this album, this 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 is this is a pinnacle, an absolute pinnacle of an album. Do you like this album yourself, Russell? It, it, I've got a lot of good memories of it. Um, it's a good life. I've got a, critic, I've got a criticism of them as well at this time because mm-hmm. you're talking about they sold eight hundred thousand, they peaked peaked to this album three hundred thousand, another number one. Like that's three number one albums in a row by now. And then that same month of the Celtic Tottenham game, I go and see them support Oasis at Murrayfield. And I just felt, you know, I would like to have seen them not being a support band still. And I felt they were a wee bit guilty of pandering to Oasis, the Oasis thing a wee bit too much. You've got to stand on your own two feet eventually, Kev. Three number one albums, you know, Oasis had two world tours by the time they had three world albums under their belt. You know, as, as headline act, you know, I mean, Kasabian, I just think, touring still with Oasis has been the support act. I, I, just personal opinion, 
but I would have liked to have seen them just have a wee bit more clout about them and, and maybe I mean I know they held down a lot of festivals around this time to be honest with you I think they did around this time 14 parks in a row mm-hmm. I think they did 04 05 06 08 09 I mean it was just it was getting almost it became a bit karaoke you know that I felt with the LSF stuff but that album I always remember Fire ironically being the most sang song on the way to Murrayfield to see Oasis and that's what and this train could have came off the track, mate. I'm not joking. Everyone was jumping about, like, it's like, I'm on fire. They were just, everyone going absolutely mad to it. So it shows you, it was obviously, I mean, a huge song for that to be getting sung instead of, typically it would be Oasis songs getting sung mm-hmm. in Oasis gig. But I would have liked to have seen them do what, like, The Enemy did. The Enemy, like, did, like, uh, the Rico Arena and stuff like that. I think the Cortinas did something similar. Slightly smaller stands, but still hold, like, 25,000. And headline your own. Do you know what I mean? I think they maybe did... Uh, they done Leicester. They did Leicester. They done Leicester. I think they did eh? Leicester, but I think Sabian had a big enough following, particularly in Scotland, to have done like, maybe like Falkirk Stadium did a lot of gigs. It's good enough for Rod Stewart, could have been good enough for them, you know? It I could think. have been, and they always, they always pulled a large crowd at festivals. They always, seem, they always seemed to be, if you were struggling for a festival headline act, if there was no big acts available that year, I just get Kasabian because they'll give you a de- because they'll, because they'll give you a decent hour and a half, an hour and forty five minutes, yeah. and I always thought they were maybe relatively cheap because the all like for a headliner act because they seem to be headlining and like nearly every festival, yeah. well, like one summer when they had nothing to promote or when especially Glasgow, Jeff Ellis for or. DF concerts or whoever it is does the the tea in the park stuff always seemed to when he was struggling for a headline he always went I'll just phone Kasabian they'll come in there and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, they'll, they'll, they'll pull a, a certain type of crowd to, uh, to it and they're a fantastic they were a fantastic live band I've seen them twice uh, and the last time I was round about this tour I went to see them at the the SEC uh, on, on on this tour eh? And I, it was, it was cracking. It was really good. They were a like good live band. For me, they've got a massive primal scream influence. If the primal scream hadn't had they made Exterminator or the yeah the, or the live in Tokyo album, then I don't think you would have got mm-hmm. uh, the way Kasabian ended up sounding. Uh, but after that, I've just seen they've been they've never reached that height again. And now they've got to reinvent themselves, don't they? After the the singer leaving. Yeah, the singer, the, the sing, uh, singer being thrown out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then people are wondering what's going to happen because the singer was such a, a presence live anyway, he was just the way that he stopped well, about the right. stage. He was more a cheerleader than a singer at, at certain times. Eh? But it, Serge had sung a lot of lead vocals on a lot of albums and a lot, a lot yeah. of album tracks. Eh? So for him to take over as frontman, it's probably not a big as big as leap as what people are going to suggest it could be. Yeah, I don't, I don't I think, think so. But it's a bit weak though. It is, uh, probably is, so. but you hear about some of his background. He's he's doing the backing vocals live. I just, I don't know. I I, I think that might end up. I know what you're saying. Tom didn't really. It wasn't exactly the best vocalist in the world, but he was loud. And I just wonder if these songs with it. I just think Serge's projection isn't great. And I think that could come back and bite them on the backside when they get back on the road. 
Aye, aye, you could be right there. And uh, I'm surprised they're carrying on. I, I, I'm surprised that they're actually carrying on. It might, you might see them coming back with a complete change of direction, as you say, because they need to change the vocal. Mm-hmm. They need to change the way that they write stuff and and, and uh, for for search, which is not not for Tommy. Eh? But when you have a look at this underdog, what a fantastic song, underdog! I say, eh? where did all the love go? Uh, was that yeah, another, know, another, another another classic song. See this album. It's got a theme runs all the way through it. And I didn't realise this until I was doing some research on this album. Do you know what the theme is? Every song is written from the perspective from this perspective of an inmate in the lunatic asylum. That's what the point was, was it? That was that's what the point was. So every song is a character story, a fictional character story who is in this lunatic asylum. And when you when I listen to it today with that knowledge, the lyrics make more sense. I think so. Aye. Wow. It's when you just wow. listen to it, like some of some of the times the lyrics sounded a bit nonsensical. Like just mm-hmm. like when you listen to fire, when you start thinking yeah. the lyrics are fire, and you go, "Oh wait a minute, I've, I wear sheep's, I wear snakeskin boots, blah blah blah." And you're going, wait a minute, if that's coming from the point of view of a fictional character, it makes more sense now. Fair so enough. No, I would no, recommend any... I, 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 like, I like shit like that, basically. No, no, I get it. <laughs> I, I, I think that's uh, quite quite decent. Uh, anything else? Anything else? Like that's not done bad. Not done bad. We never got took off air for talking about Michael Jackson. Which uh, I didn't realise when I started talking about them that we probably shouldn't have went there, but there you go. Um, aye, well that's us. Subscribe if you want to get a chance to win the the, the ver thing. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow at half. I'll be back tomorrow at half past six. Um, no, half past six. Half past twelve, and for the bulletin. So I've been Kevin Graham. He's been Russell Boyce. Be kind to each other and be kind to yourself. Hail, hail. Got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. 
Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spanier. Leto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Network.